Uh, Please remain standing for the reading of our Lord's Word, Um, Exodus chapter 1. So I think I spilled some water up here. Someone run and get a paper towel maybe from the bathroom. Thank you. Um, So Exodus chapter 1, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Uh, This is the word of our Lord to us. As we come before him, uh, let's remember that our lives are short, the flower fades, the grass withers, uh, but God's word endures forever. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. Uh, But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies." and fight against us, and escape from the land. And therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Potom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter, with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipruah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called to the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? And midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And so God dwelt well, dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied. And grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live. As in the reading of the Lord's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come before your word, we ask that you would illumine our hearts. Uh, that every part of us would be attentive to your word, um, that we would not simply be heady thinking about uh, and theologicalizing, um, but that we would also put it into our hearts and seek to live and and glorify you um, and be transformed by what we see in your word. Work in us by your spirit, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
So one of the truths that God's people have to wrestle with is that God doesn't change. And that's hard for us to understand uh, because we don't know anything except change. Right? From the, the moment we enter into this life, we change, we grow, uh, our, our bodies change, our lives change, our circumstances change. Uh, but that God is not like us. Right? God doesn't change. He's the same today that he was a thousand years ago, and in a thousand years, he will be the same that he is now. Um, which means that he keeps his word. That if he says he will do something, uh, he does it. If he makes a promise, he keeps that promise. And because he doesn't change, we know that he will always do that. He doesn't change his mind. Right? He doesn't make plan B's. But because he's not like us, uh, we can struggle to understand uh, struggle to understand him because he doesn't do things in the way that we would do them or in the time timeline that we expect that we would do things. And so sometimes even the Lord will, will do things that are unexpected that we, we don't expect him to do. That even he goes to the point where we know he's going to be faithful to his promises, but sometimes the Lord makes it look like his promises have failed. Or like they're going to fail. Think about um, the story of Abraham and Isaac. This is the classic example. The Lord fulfills this promise to Abraham after years of Abraham waiting. Finally, Abraham receives a child of promise. And then God says, I want you to take that promise and put him on the altar and kill him. And Abraham obeyed. And he trusted even if God would take away the child of promise, that somehow, somehow God would still be faithful, that God would still fulfill the promise, that it must just be that Isaac is not the way that God intends to fulfill his promise. That even if it looks like the promise is going to be cut off, that God would still be faithful. And that's the story of Exodus 1. God proving himself faithful to his people, uh, even when his promises are under assault, even when the Lord makes it look like his promises are going to fail, that he is not strong enough to overcome the powers of the world. But what we see is that this, this small clan that ends up in Egypt, this small clan of 70 grows into a nation. And that this nation uh, began with a single child born to a 90-year-old man. And this child had a family, and that family had families, and they grew uh, and had uh, 12 sons. Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons go to Egypt, and then they have families, and then their families have families, and then families have families and families. And now suddenly what started as only 70 people now grows in this huge nation. Clearly, the Lord is at work. Clearly, the Lord is fulfilling promises. Clear, we see that God is being faithful. And that the opening parts of Exodus, 
chapter 1 are meant to draw us to the fact that God has been faithful in the past because he reiterates, right, here's all the people who went into Egypt. And it makes you think about the story of Joseph. Right? The story of Joseph is a testimony to God's faithfulness because God was positioning Joseph, even though his brothers cast him out, exiled him, sold him into slavery to Egypt, that God had put Joseph in Egypt so that when the famine came, that all of Jacob's family would have a place to go and have food. And that's the rest of the chapter, too, calling us to see that God is faithful, but also showing us that sometimes God maneuvers events to make it look like his promises are fa- have failed so that we have to trust him. God is faithful to his promises, but sometimes he makes it look like his promises have failed so that we have to trust him. So let's look and see how he's been faithful. How is God showing his faithfulness to his people through Exodus 1? Well, first, by naming all of Jacob's sons, like we just said, and showing us this small clan that then grows and grows and grows. Uh, It calls us back to these memories these promises that have been made in years past. We think of Abraham. We think of the promises made to Abraham that God said to Abraham, I'm going to take your children and I'm going to make them into a great nation. And that's exactly what happens. Verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful uh, and increased greatly. Uh, They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. That sounds a lot like they're growing into a great nation, doesn't it? That their number is becoming like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. That God is is fulfilling promises he made to Abraham. And this whole story and all these names remind us that God is protecting this lineage. That what started with Abraham, started with Isaac, grew into Jacob, and Jacob grew into his sons, and his sons then brought their families that God has been protecting this lineage all along, that he is the one shaping and molding uh, his people. And coming from 70 people, from this small group, fruitful, increased greatly, multiplied, grew exceedingly strong, filled the earth. But the the author is not just uh, showing off all the words that he knows for get got bigger. Right, there's a point here. The point is that God is fulfilling his promises by giving children to his people. Something completely normal and regular. Uh, and even every day, we have expectant families in our church. We have little babies all over the place. These are parts of our lives, and yet... What uh, the the psalmist or the author of Exodus is saying is that the Lord is doing this to fulfill promises, not in spectacular, amazing, miraculous ways, but just to the fact that people are having kids and families are growing and households are, are bursting with children and with joy and families. And what we see is that God does not need to use supernatural intervention in order to fulfill his promises. He can use regular, everyday things to be faithful to his people. 
And those kids growing up and having kids of their own, communities growing and being blessed, these are evidences that the Lord is working, that the Lord is faithful. And so he can and does work miraculously. Uh, But often, and especially for you and me today, we see God's faithfulness in the normal things, in everyday things. The fact that our families are growing. The fact that our community has been blessed, not just with numbers, right? But all these words for growing are not just about uh, numbers. It's about being fruitful. It's about growing and becoming strong and, and the communities themselves being full. And I think we can see that in our own lives. It's not just the numbers of kids that we have but it's the, it's the communities that we share and the relationships and the growth uh, and the joy that we share together that's evidence that the Lord is at work, that the Lord is being faithful in your life. And it can even be just the fact that you have food to eat every day, that you have a, a means of provision, and that the sun is shining. These are little evidences that God is faithful, that he is good. But the second thing that the, the author intends to show us, right? I, I hope you heard it, but when you hear Israel was fruitful and multiplied, I hope that triggers your brain to say, hey, I, I've heard that before. That makes me think of Genesis. That makes me think of creation. And I think it shows us that God is at work in his people in two different ways. First, he's, he's at work as creator. That even though the work of creation is done, he's still working like he did in creation where he's making his people be fruitful. He's making them multiply. Uh, His chosen people are spreading and increasing and their lives are getting full. That God is still shaping and molding. And scripture will talk in other places about how God is a cultivator. God is is a gardener of his people. And I think that's the image, that God is at work like a, a gardener would be, cultivating, fertilizing, tilling the soil. And that's what he's doing with his people. But he's also at work as their covenant Lord. The specific promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 17 of, of Genesis is that he would make Abraham exceedingly fruitful. And now... Israel is becoming exceedingly fruitful. That Israel is seeing the promises of God being fulfilled in their lifetimes. And I think the point is that God is faithful to his past promises, no matter how long ago he made them, in normal, day, in normal ways, in regular, everyday things. Um, but there's another way that he's also proving himself faithful, in a more surprising way, I want you to look down at verse 15. Don't worry, we'll come back. We'll look at the verses we're skipping over. But look at verse 15. And the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Ship, man, I can never pronounce this, Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. 
want you to think about this. Here's the king of the greatest nation on earth at that time. Arguably the most powerful person, as far as we know, on the globe. And he comes with all of his power and all of his influence and says, here's what you are to do. And these two midwives, two Hebrew slave midwives, do not do what he commanded. But the, the power contrast is almost as far as you can go. Like, here's the most powerful man. And then who opposes him? Two women. That's the people that God loves to use. That's the surprising way that God loves to fulfill his promises is because he can use whoever he wants because he's God. And through their success, through the fact that they don't do what Pharaoh commanded them, we see that God blessed his people through these two women. And that the Lord's faithfulness means that he can use whoever he wants to accomplish his promises in whatever way he wants. And that even if it's just two women being faithful to him, opposing the most powerful man in the world, that they're going to have success because he is God and he's going to fulfill his promises. And notice how he blesses them afterwards in verse 20. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So for their faithfulness to God, God turns around and says, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give you children. And also, notice how these two midwives, they get names. Their names are written down in Scripture for the rest of the world. And Pharaoh's name never shows up. Isn't that interesting? Pharaoh never gets his name recorded, but these two midwives who were faithful to God, we get to know their names. That's the faithfulness of God to the people who fear him and love him, that he knows their names, he remembers them, and he blesses them. And so I think we can see, right, that it's not about our strength. It's not about our ability. It's not about our position in society or what others think of us. If God wants to fulfill his promises through us, he's going to do it. If God wants to use us, he's going to. And it doesn't matter if you are the least or the greatest in the kingdom of God. And it's actually better to be the least and to be faithful in the small ways that God has called you to be faithful. But there is uh, a problem. And you can imagine... um, how people who have read this passage have come to this, they start to struggle with the fact that, well, how could two midwives thwart the entire plan of Pharaoh? How could it be that they could save every single child? Maybe they were the heads of the midwife guild, if that was a thing, and they were able to influence all the other midwives. Maybe these are symbolic. 
that they're a symbol for the rest of the midwives. I think we'd really like to believe that Pharaoh was not successful and that not a single son died. I think we really want to believe that. But I think Exodus 1 is is forcing us to face a difficult truth. Because you see, this chapter is not just about God being faithful to promises. This chapter is also about Pharaoh doing everything in his power to extinguish those promises. It's also about Pharaoh waging war against God's people. And how horrific it must have been to not only be enslaved, but then to have your kids targeted And I think one of the, both the ironic and the horrible things is that it's because God is being faithful to his people that they get targeted. Right? Because why does Pharaoh start to enslave Israel? Verse 8, and there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty. And come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. In other words, it's it's because God is blessing his people that Pharaoh sees them as a threat. All the faithfulness of God, the, the families that are growing, the blessings that God is pouring out on them, are a threat to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is is not just a a bad king. He's not just inept and has blinders on and doesn't see how God is blessing them. It's, It's also that he justifies enslaving an entire people with these vague notions about how Israel could become a threat. They are many and mighty, and if war breaks out, and if they join with their enemies, and if they fight against us, Then they would escape. I think this is all just a a smokescreen. It's just Pharaoh justifying a power grab. That he is, he wants to consolidate power for himself, and so he invents an emergency uh, and uses it to exploit Israel, to collect power for himself, to satisfy his greed. And he uses Israel. Right? They, they build store cities for him in verse uh, 11. Notice they build those for Pharaoh specifically. That it is his empire that they are building. Pharaoh is a dictator. And he is an evil king. And he sees the blessings of God and that's a threat to his power and so he tries to stamp out Israel's strength and the way he does it is not just with slavery 
It's not just that they have to now build stuff for him. It's that this slavery becomes harder and harder and harder. Verse 13 and 14. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. Made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work. And in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. It's like Pharaoh is trying to squeeze the life out of Israel. And then, of course, he starts to actually do that and commands the Hebrews themselves to do his dirty work. And he tries to unravel the threads of God's promises at the very source, children. That the very blessing that God is giving to his people, Pharaoh tries to to stamp out. And he says to the midwives that if it is a son, someone who could grow up to be a soldier and wage war, you shall kill him while he is a helpless baby. And at first he tries to do this secretly. And he tries to stop Israel from spreading. He's trying to cut off Israel's ability to grow. I think there's more behind it than just Pharaoh being evil. I think this is the seed of the serpent trying to stamp out the seed of the woman. That if the line of Abraham gets cut off, if every son of Israel gets killed, that means the promise is dead. That God's promise to Eve can never be fulfilled. That Abraham and his line would pass away. God's promises are under assault. Not just his people, but God's promises themselves are under assault. And despite the heroics of the midwives, chapter one ends with Pharaoh declaring public war against all of Israel's children. All of Israel's sons are to be executed. Where is God when this is happening? Why is God letting Pharaoh do this? If God is truly sovereign and in control, why does it look like Pharaoh is getting the upper hand? Look at two verses. Look at verse 12. And then look at verse 20. Verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. In verse 20, so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong.
every time that Pharaoh tries to destroy the promises of God, God turns around and says, no, my people will grow. He does not abandon his people. His promises are not able to be crushed by the power of Pharaoh. And those verses paint Pharaoh in a completely different light. At first you feel like Pharaoh is this powerful person who is ruthlessly oppressing and ordering executions. uh, And who could possibly stop him? But these verses make it seem like his efforts are just the screaming of a baby. That Pharaoh is just screaming and throwing a tantrum and God says, no, my people will grow. And he continued to be faithful despite the fact that there is no earthly way that that should happen. People who are ruthlessly oppressed and bitter should not continue to grow. People whose children are being killed should not continue to grow very strong. But that's what happens. Because God is still being faithful. And even the end of the chapter, when it looks like all hope is now lost, surely God cannot recover from this. Surely God can't stop Pharaoh from killing all the Hebrew sons. Chapter 2 will show us that the means that Pharaoh tries to use to kill will actually become the means by which Israel's future savior, the one who will lead them on the exodus, is how that man will be saved. That Moses will get thrown into the Nile. Uh, But because he gets put in a little basket, He will survive and will one day lead Israel out of slavery. That even Pharaoh's worst attempt, God will turn around and use to fulfill his promises to his people. So why does it, why does God make it look like his promises will fail? Why does God allow Pharaoh to even try to stamp out the promises? Why does God let his people get to the very edge of despair? I think it's because God wants to close off every earthly option so that there's nothing left but to trust him. So that there is no hope except by his power and his power alone. Because consistently he shows himself faithful So that even when it looks like things are going to never get better, even when God makes it look like his promises are going to fail, that his people can trust him and have confidence and believe that he will fulfill his promises. No matter what every pharaoh in the world has to say about it. Because God is completely determined to fulfill his promises to his people even when it looks like it'll fail. And I think there's no greater example of this than the cross. Because it's, it's hundreds of years later, right? But it's Israel's enslaved again. They are occupied by a foreign power, this time Rome. There's another despotic king who initiates another genocide of the Hebrew male children. 
but God doesn't change. God is still faithful. And even though uh, that son will go to the cross and die there, that that's actually the means by which God is fulfilling his promises. That in order for his promises to his people to be fulfilled, the promised son would have to go and die. And you can understand, right? You can understand why the disciples look at Jesus hanging on the cross. They watch who they thought was the Messiah die. You can understand why they scatter. Because it looks like the promise is dead. It looks like God has failed. And it looks like the powers of Satan have overcome the powers of God. But you know the rest of the story. God came back to life. Jesus was resurrected. And the promise was fulfilled. And Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment of all of his promises to you. That he will be your God. That he will redeem you and save you. And that you shall be his people. And that he shall never leave you or abandon you. That is what God has promised. And because Jesus died, he will always fulfill that promise to you because he already has. Which means that when you come to the point in your life where it looks like God is not being faithful, where it looks like his promises have failed, and when it looks like your life is falling apart and the powers of Satan are overcoming you and you're being oppressed That's when you need, most need to trust God. That's when you most need to grab hold to the cross and never let go. Because God, if God was faithful then, he will be faithful to you now. And he will be faithful to you forever. That is who he is. And in case I needed to bash you over the head with it a little bit more, we have not one, not two, but three visible, fulfilled promises today. A, a smorgasbord. Right? We get to hear Elise Taylor reaffirm her faith. We get to watch Maggie be baptized. And then we get to eat and drink of the Lord's table. God has been faithful to Maggie. The fact that she's going to be up here today is a testimony that he has been working in her life faithfully for years and years and years. And then we get to see Maggie be baptized, and God will say to her, you are mine, and I will be faithful to you. And we get to come to the table. 
and we get to hear God's words to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. And you notice these are all ordinary things. Some words, water, bread and wine. But through these ordinary things, God is doing extraordinary acts of faithfulness to us. So let us rejoice. Let us trust him and cling to his faithfulness. Let's pray. God in heaven, as we come before you, we confess that we do not trust you like we should. You have proven yourself faithful a thousand times, and yet we still find ourselves doubting when things get hard. But Lord, we thank you that you have given us your son, that you have laid down everything for us in order to be faithful to us. May you help us to trust you and to be faithful to you like the midwives were, even if it means taking the risk of of harm, of losing our lives even for the sake of the faith, but may we be faithful because you have been faithful to us. Walk with us, Lord. Strengthen us to do your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.